My subject this morning is the single most important truth that you will ever hear. Some time ago, I was involved in a uh, counseling ministry, and I was getting my internship there, and I had a very, very good mentor who I had the opportunity of listening to and seeing the way that he handled himself while he was counseling. And there was a man that was coming there that um, had some problems. He was a young man, about 30. He was married, had three children. And he was a businessman that traveled a lot. And in his traveling, he met a woman. And uh, he had an affair with that woman. And every time he went to that city, he got together with that woman. Now, he was a dedicated Christian. His wife was a Christian. And they had three beautiful children. And I was kind of surprised when I heard his response when my mentor asked him, how are things going? Now, he'd already been counseling him for about a month and a half to two months. How is everything going? And he said, well, it's, it's going good. It's going good. It's getting better. And, um, and then he said, but... Every time I go to this city, he said, I, I, I still see her. And the counselor said, what? You're still seeing her? Yes. He says, I just can't help myself. He says, I pray about it. He says, and when I go to that city, I talk to the Lord all the way to that city. And then when I get there, he said, I just can't help myself. This morning, we're going to find out what he could have done to help himself. The most important truth that you will ever hear. Now, last week, we covered the cycle of controlling sin. We found the real problem, and it's the nature of sin. Sin always delivers its promised pleasure, always. And we become addicted to the pleasure. And once we are addicted, we start to build defenses. We start hiding things. We we start withdrawing from people. And we have this over sense of shame. And then we start thinking unhealthy thoughts. And now we are on the path to start believing lies about who we really are. Because all of a sudden comes into our mind, there's something wrong with me. Sometimes I wonder if I'm even a Christian. 
and it seems to be no use. I go through this year after year after year, and nothing has really changed. And then we start thinking, what in the world is wrong with me anyway? And here is where the danger begins. Because now we start giving ourselves permission to sin. Christians often say, well, the Bible says if you think it, you might just as well do it because you're sinning already in your mind. We start giving ourselves permission to sin. And when we do that, once we choose to hide, go it alone, giving ourselves permission to sin, you can almost put it down. You have decided to use someone to satisfy your sin. Now, we now know how to break the cycle of the power of sin. First, we talk to God about it. Or like I did for seven years, I carried a three-by-five card. And every time my mind started to drift, I'd pull that out, and I would read what God says, who I am. Because I would often question who I am. And then we found out the very best thing that we can do is to call a friend. And that's where I failed until about 15 years ago. We find a brother in Christ, or if you're female, you find a sister in Christ. And you begin to share with that individual your feelings, the things that you are going through, the things that you are thinking about doing, you haven't done them yet. But now you're talking to God about it, then you're reading some scripture, or you're talking to a friend. And here is where you experience the power of the church. Here is where you experience how God loves you through other people. And once you have been loved through somebody, then it's only natural that you, God will use you to love somebody through him. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about how Adam, when he sinned, the Bible says that when he sinned, he cursed the earth. And we found out that when Cain killed his brother, that the Bible says that humanity was cursed because of Cain. And then we found out that humanity was the only thing that could remove the curse on this earth and upon humanity. And that is why Christ came to this earth. He took on humanity to remove that curse from the earth and from the sinner. Our past, our present, and our future sins were dealt with simultaneously on the cross. When it comes to forgiveness, it seems like 
we see we receive mixed messages from the Christian church. Some are led to believe that there is some heavenly score system going on in heaven. You sin, somebody writes it down in a book. You ask for forgiveness, all right, it's erased. And so the Christian, he sins, he confesses, he sins, he confesses, sins, confesses. But what if he doesn't confess? Then what? Or what if he forgets? Then what? If you and I, if we would sin against a friend, a family member, a co-worker, we feel that our relationship is broken until we apologize to that person. And once we apologize, we hopefully expect that they will forgive us so that we can get back to the way it was before. Now, here's the problem. We feel that God is the same way. We are led to believe that when we sin against God, we are out of fellowship until we confess that sin. So we have this belief now that we are in and out of fellowship based on our performance. Last week, I suggested that we read 1 John 1, 9. And I'll read it again. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, the Bible says if. What happens if you don't? This popular belief is that a Christian should keep some sort of short account with God through daily confession. And, th and then some believe that confession was really to maintain a fellowship with God. It appears in 1 John 2.12, it appears that most Christians believe that, that Christ has forgiven their sins. And so either we've been forgiven or there's a condition for us to be forgiven. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. So what is it? Well, theologians have done their best when they wrestled with 1 John 1.9. And some and many of them understood this means to be to maintain that daily fellowship that we need. But our first question is, whom is God talking to? As you read his letter, we know that his message is about Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1.3, the Bible says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And then in John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I don't know of a Christian or a Jew who claims that they have never sinned. In 1 John 4, 2, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
So John is explaining to the crowd two very important messages that he wants them to understand. One, claiming to be without sin. Two, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Why these two? Well, there was a group of Christians that were causing a lot of problems. One was claiming that they had never sinned and that Jesus Christ did not have a physical body. In fact, they believed that it was impossible for God to suffer and die on the cross because he didn't have a physical body. It appeared that he had a physical body, but he did not. And they were the Gnostics. And their mission was to offer salvation from ignorance and fate through the knowledge of a higher God. You see, they separated the two gods. They felt that the God of the Old Testament, the one who created the heavens and the earth, was a lesser God. And they would use the scripture to prove it. For here they would say, what did God tell the children of Israel to do? He told them to kill every man, woman, and child. That was the God of the Old Testament, they said. What does the God of the New Testament says? Suffer the little children to come unto me. Elisha, the Bible gives that story about he was growing, he was going bald. And the children were, they were tantalizing him. They were saying, baldy, baldy, baldy. And God sent out two she-bears and tore those children to pieces, killed them all. And so the Gnostic says that's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the, the, the Father of Jesus Christ is, is the God of the New Testament. And so they had this division. They believed that there were two, two creations, one in the spiritual form in God's image and one in the physical substance, dirt in the Garden of Eden as Adam was. John is politely saying to them that if you claim that you have no sin, you are a liar and you don't have Christ. The message of John, the letter of John, was written to unbelievers and believers who were listening to the Gnostics, being influenced by them and accepting what they said as truth. You and I will spend the rest of our lives agreeing with God about sin. We all know that it's no good. It's not profitable. It only brings pain, guilt, and more guilt. So what do we do when we sin? Confession is agreeing with God. And so we sin when, when we sin. We confess. We confess to God that sin is not good. And then we thank him for what he did 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross for all sin. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Just think about it now. In him... We have the forgiveness of sin. 
but it was through his blood that we have forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel sinned, they took a lamb, they slit its throat, and the blood was offered as a covering of sin. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, look, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, takes it away. You and I are living under that blood. True believers don't claim that Jesus lacked a physical body. And I've never heard of a Christian yet who says that they had never sinned. Now, I've heard many say that after they were saved and everything, that they don't sin anymore. But then I know that the Bible says that they're a liar and there's no truth in them. So that doesn't bother me as much. For the rest of our lives, we're going to be admitting Ephesians 1.7 that we have redemption through his blood, that we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Think about it. In Hebrews 10, 14, when you accepted Jesus Christ, the Bible says you were made perfect forever. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. You were made perfect forever. Now, notice that it doesn't say that we act perfect. This is talking about our identity. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, we have been made totally acceptable in the eyes of a holy God. That's how God sees us. We are totally accepted. Through Christ, we have been made perfect forever. And I, <clears throat> I can imagine what some of you may be thinking. I live with me. When I hear that kind of stuff, I feel like I'm playing a game of denial. To believe that I can sin and God is not disappointed with me. I know he loves me, but where's the accountability to live this life for him? In chapter 6 of Corinthians, the Bible gives a partial list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it lists it very plainly, murderers, homosexuals, it, it, it goes through the whole list. But the wonderful thing about it is that none of us seem to be left out. Because even though it talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom of, of heaven, it also talks about things like being greedy, slanderers, Now, how many of us can say that we have never been totally free from covetous desires? I don't think one of us can. How many of us can say that we are totally free from, from never gossiping? In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, the Bible says, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
The Bible says that you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. The Bible says that's who you were, but that is not your identity today. When God looks at you today, he only sees you as a child of God. If a person's identity is a child of God, then he has to believe that he has been sanctified. And what does sanctification mean? It says that you have been set apart for holy use. So the Bible says that you are holy, you are beloved, you are righteous in God's sight. Then our old behavior makes no sense at all. When we, are, when we sin, we are going against our nature because now our nature is not to sin. And then when we do, we feel terrible about it. And we go through a lot of mind games when we, when we sin. But the Bible says that we have been made complete. In, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him... Christ, all the fullness, all the fullness, it says, of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. We are forgiven. We are redeemed, made spiritually alive, and we stand in the righteousness of Christ, totally accepted. Are we perfectly mature? No. That won't happen until Christ comes. God has a lot of building and training to do in us yet. In Philippians 1.6, the Bible says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We talked about the power of sin in Romans 7 and how it affects us all. The devil works through our personalities, but only with my permission of the will. Remember, the power of sin is not when you act it out. It is when you give yourself permission to do it. As long as you live in this body, you will wrestle with the desires of the flesh. But over time, the Lord will renew your mind with this truth. Your emotions and your desires will become more and more in line with who you really are. Understanding that you are a new creation, you can be plugged into God with experience of real meaning and purpose. You can walk daily in his love and acceptance. We can learn that the fulfillment of being a servant to other people and seeing Christ use us in their lives. The only solution is the total exchange we first have to exchange an identity 
based on our behavior for an identity based on God, how he sees us, not how we view ourselves. I mean, that's worth repeating. We first have to exchange an identity based on our behavior because that's the way most of us has functioned all of our lives. For an identity based on how God sees us, not how we see ourselves. When we do that, we are free to trust his love and his delight in us. He wants us to learn to experience on lean to learn and lean on him instead of our performances. The motive of a righteous heart is not to get away with anything. The motive of, of a righteous one is to be loved and to love. What if I told you that God loves you on your worst day? When you're thinking your worst thoughts going through your worst temptation. And what if I told you that you are a saint with a built-in ability to do great things for God? What if I told you that if you would believe that Christ lives in you and desires to live through you, that it would keep you from the wrong that's tearing you up today. That is the exchange life in Christ. To take on a new identity. Not based on how you perform, but based on how Christ sees you. Now you have a choice. You can focus on your issues. Or you can focus on what God says about you to be true. Some months ago, I watched a, a uh, commentary on Tony Robbins. And um, it was very interesting. There was a lot of foul language in it, but it was very interesting that his approach, and he attracts thousands of people, and they pay thousands of dollars to go to those seminars. And what he essentially is saying is what the Bible says. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And he, along with many of the, of the popular motivation speakers, simply saying, get rid of the stinking thinking. And they're right. They're absolutely right. But to find peace, peace that Jesus says surpasses all understanding, is to, to take in that belief that you are a child of God. You are no longer who you think you are. And God is no longer who you think he was. We serve a God that took care of the complete sin issue. 
He looked down that timeline 2,000 years this way, 2,000 plus this way, and he did away and took away the sins of the world. And you've heard me say many, many times, no one is going to be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. That exchange life in Christ is what God is telling us this morning. He's telling you that he loves you no matter what. He tells you that you have a built-in ability to do great things for God. He's telling you that if you believe that Christ lives in you and desires to live through you, now that's the key. He desires to live through you. How does he do that? He does that on a daily basis as you communicate with people. The way you treat people, the way you look at people. There's one thing I, I soon learned when I went into the Marine Corps many years ago. Once they shaved all the hair off my head, and once they gave me underwear, trousers, boots, socks, everything, and we all got dressed in that uniform, that everybody was the same. Didn't make any difference who you were before, what your education was. It made absolutely no difference. You're all the same. And when you and I could look at everyone as being the same, they're going through the same struggles that you and I are going through. Oh, some have a harder time because of their past, the way they were brought up, the genes that they inherited, but it wasn't their fault. They may have a little tougher time than we are, but every one of us can exchange that old life, exchange it for a life in Christ. We have the opportunity to believe that all of his power already exists in me, in you, right now, even on our worst day. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the message that you have given to us, that you love us no matter what, that our sins are taken care of, we love you, Lord, because you loved us first. And you demonstrated that love for us when you said that you'd no longer count our sins against us. And now we sense the real freedom in Jesus. We sense the sacrifice. We sense our own lives are now being transformed. We now have come to the place because life really hasn't worked for any of us. We've come to the place where it will now work. We simply need to trust you, depend upon you. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that right now, this morning, that you'll give us a clearer 
more perfect picture of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Bless us, go with us, and help us through this life, every moment, every second of our life. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.